0: come down and enjoy this time of of communion and fellowship. Um, I do believe we have some things for the kids as well. The weather held and it's pretty nice out and so we'll have a couple bounce houses out there for the kids um, and for any of the big kids that want to get on the bounce house, okay? Um, So again, potluck right after service. We're going to keep this part of the service a lot shorter, so we have time to spend with one another. There's a couple other things coming up, just like I mentioned. Uh, there's the uh, Married with Kids Fellowship Dinner. That's in the bulletin. There's a sign-up sheet out there. This is not in the bulletin, but we'll try to get it in. But December 3rd, there's some CPR training that the church is offering here. Uh, December 3rd, CPR training from 8 to 2. There is information in a sign-up sheet on the back table. So if that's something that you say, you know, I'd really... Uh, would like to get some training in that Uh, I would just encourage if you're one of our workers children's workers, nursery workers it would be great uh, to be able to to have that uh, training, it's just really good to have uh, and the information's on the next steps and it's hard to believe I know I mentioned Thanksgiving but Christmas is just around the corner and you know what that means it means you gotta pick out my Christmas present, that's what it means (laughs) ahead of time Um, but no, it's just around the corner, and it's December 16th and 17th here at Red Hills. We will be having our Christmas program, uh, and that's in the evenings, okay? December 16th, 17th. So kind of put that on your calendar, put that out there, uh, be thinking about that. Again, we'll have more information to come, uh, but we wanted to at least throw that out there. Uh, I think those are all the announcements. You guys ready to get into the Word? Because I heard there's some pumpkin roll down there with my name on it. Amen? <laughs> and so we want to get down there. We want to get to the real serious stuff. We want to get down to the time of fellowship. So we'll be in 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. We're doing a series on Elijah. Elijah, he was an ordinary man with, who served an extraordinary God. Elijah, an ordinary man who served an extraordinary God, who did extraordinary things through the power of God. And we've been in this series. Uh, This is going to be a little bit longer portion that we're going to read, but I think it will help you have the context. And I'm going to do my best to be really on point, just kind of get right to it this morning and try to keep it as brief as possible uh, so that we can have a time of fellowship. 1 Kings 18, a little bit longer passage, so bear with me. Try to focus, try to pay attention and see what's going on here. Now remember there was a famine for nearly three and a half years. And God is trying to use Elijah to get God's people's attention. And now there's going to be in getting ready for a confrontation with the king of Israel at the time, King Ahab. And this is what the Bible says. It says, And after a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. This is what the Lord said. Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. And now the famine was severe in Samaria. And Ahab had summoned Obadiah, notice this, his palace administrator. Now Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. And while Jezebel was killing off the prophets, the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets, and he had hidden them in two caves, fifty in each, and he supplied them with food and water. And Ahab said to Obadiah, Go through the land to all the springs and valleys, and maybe we can find some grass to keep the horses and the mules alive, so we will not have to kill any of our animals. And so they divided the land that they were to cover, Ahab going in one direction, and Obadiah in another and Obadiah was walking uh, along, Elijah met him. Obadiah recognized him. Does anyone remember why you could recognize Elijah? He was kind of unique. Remember, he was a hairy man, and he wore, he wore like this weird like loin thing, like this, like, he looked almost like a caveman. You guys kind of remember that? He, he looked different. He looked unique. But notice what happens. Obadiah recognizes Elijah. He bows down to the ground and he says, Is it really you, my lord, Elijah? Yes, he replied. Go tell your master, Elijah is here. What have I done wrong, asked Obadiah, that you are handing your servant over to Ahab to be put to death? As surely as the Lord your God lives, there is not a nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to look for you. And whenever a nation or kingdom claimed you were not there, he made them swear that they could not find you. But now you tell me you're going to go to my master and say, Elijah is here? I don't know where the Spirit of the Lord may carry you when I leave. And if I go and tell Ahab and he doesn't find you, he will kill me. Yet I, your servant, have worshipped the Lord since my youth. Haven't you heard, my Lord, what I did while Jezebel was killing off the prophets of the Lord, I hid a hundred of the Lord's prophets in two caves, fifteen in each, and I've supplied them with food and water. And now you tell me to go to my master and say, "Elijah is here, he will kill me. Elijah said, As the Lord Almighty lives whom I serve, I will surely present myself to Ahab today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab. And told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. And when he saw Elijah, he said to him, listen to these words carefully. And we're going to speak on this in just a moment. Is that you, you troubler of Israel? It's all your fault, Elijah. I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you. And your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commandments and have followed the Baals. They were following after that false god, Baal. He says, now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel. And bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long, listen to these words, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal is God, follow Him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to him, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. We'll stop there. We do not have time to read the rest. And we will pick up next week on this great confrontation between the prophets of Baal and the one true living God. It's an amazing, powerful story. But we want to take a few moments and see how this passage can apply to us today. As Elijah confronts Ahab, as the nation of Israel is in very, 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 very bad shape. And it's interesting that of all things, Ahab blames the prophet, the man of God. the problems let's pray lord i pray with the very few moments that we have lord i pray that we could truly glean something from your word that we could receive something from your word that is relevant for us today holy spirit i pray that you would move that you would work holy spirit i pray that you would take the words of my mouth and most importantly your words and speak to our hearts today Lord, this nation of Israel was in bad shape. And Father, you were trying to get Israel's attention and bring them back to you. And I can't help but think that as we see the the country that we are living in, that there's not some parallels, that there's not some things that we can learn, Lord, from your word that would be so relevant for each and every one of us here today. So I pray you'd bless your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Israel, God's nation, God's people was in bad, bad shape. In fact, God is trying to get their attention. And so God uses nature. God's in control of all things and he sends a famine. We're very clear on this because throughout the scripture... Elijah was the one who prayed for God to bring the famine. And here's the purpose of the famine. In in essence, it's simply this. To get the attention of God's people. To try to get the attention of God's people. Let's be reminded that this nation of Israel was once a godly nation that loved God. And there was a time where they came into that land that God had promised them and He had delivered them. And Joshua even says to them, when they came into the land, he says this. He says, listen, choose you this day whom you will serve. Remember Joshua saying that? He says, is it going to be the gods that are here? Are you going to serve the one true living God, the the one who delivered you? And he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Israel was in bad shape. You see, immediately we think, well, it's the famine and that's what was why they were in such bad shape. It's there was no food and people were hungry and and things were done. No, can I say this? In a, even worse than that, they were spiritually in a bad way morally, they were in a bad way. And, and we'll look at this more next week because the time I have is so limited. But with this worship of Baal and Ashtoreth, they literally would offer up their own children as sacrifice. They were butchering their own children. They would place them upon the altars of sacrifice. I have been to Mount Carmel. And I have been there two different times. And I have been in what would be the area of the land of the Philistines. They have found altars, and on those altars, they have still to this day, they have found bones and fragments of human remains where they would offer up human sacrifice to their false gods. And on those altars, not just historically, but they have found small infant bones as well where they would offer up their children as a sacrifice to the goddess Ashtaroth and to these gods. They, they put up these poles, the pole of Ashtaroth, and they would make these poles that they would go and worship. I won't go into great detail, but can I tell you, it was not only that they were sacrificing their children to these gods and literally many a times throwing these infants and babies onto the fires of Molech and Ashtaroth and Baal, But not only that, but there was also sexual sins that were prevalent that went along with it. All kinds of of sexual immorality. And it was a part of this worship to these false gods. We'll spend more time on them next week. But this is... What we understand that the nation of Israel was once a nation that loved God and pursued God. And yet we see that there's a point in their history where this king comes by the name of Ahab and he turns their hearts away from God. And so God sends a famine. Amos chapter 8 verse 11 says this. Amos eight eleven says, the days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. And may I say to you, I think this is very relevant for you and I today, because understand this, is that I believe that we are living in the days that Amos prophesied of. That we're living in a culture, in a society, we're living in a country that I believe at one time was a much more godly nation than it is today. Do we have someone that would agree with that? This once was one nation under God. You can't help. Go to the capitals. Go to the different state capitals all over this country and you'll see the fingerprint of God all over them the scriptures all over them. And it's sad, but we're now stripping down the commandments and taking down the Ten Commandments. This once was a nation. I'm not going to say it was a perfect nation, but I can tell you this. There was a time in our history past that this nation once was much closer to God than it is today. Morally. And we are seeing that there is a famine in the land, just like in the days of Elijah, that there was a famine of hearing the word of God. History has repeated itself, and now we see it here in this country. A country where in schools the word of God used to be read. The Ten Commandments were something that were respected. And now they're being stripped away. So why did this famine come? Well, I believe the chapter here reveals to us a number of reasons. Number one, there was ungodly leadership. In verses 17 to 18, the ungodly leadership... Ahab, who was the king, Jezebel, who's the queen, if you will, had turned the hearts of the people. In fact, what we understand is this, is that they sanctioned Baal worship as the state religion. And everything that went along with that. And so Ahab, this wicked king, began to steer the hearts of God's people away from God isn't it interesting that when, when the famine came and all these problems began to, to happen, Elijah warns and Elijah prophesies. And then when Elijah says, okay, it's time for us to meet. When he comes and he sees Ahab, what were the very first words that Ahab said? You're the one who all the trouble to Israel. It's all your fault. It's all your fault. And so... He blames Elijah. And Elijah very quickly, courageously says, it's not my fault. And he confronts them there in this chapter. And he confronts them and says, it's you and your father's household. You have turned the hearts of God's people away. In fact, 1 Kings 16, look what this scripture says about Ahab. In 1 Kings 16, it says this. Ahab, the son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it uh, trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam and the sons of, uh, uh, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel. And by the way, her name, Baal, she's named after a false god. Daughter of Ethbaal, named after a false god. King of the Sidonians. And he began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal In the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. He built a a temple to this false god. And the people began to worship this false god. And he has the nerve and the audacity to say to Elijah, it's your fault. You're the one who's bringing all the problems to the nation of Israel, to God's people. And Elijah says, no. He points the finger back and he says, it's you that has brought the problem. Look at the scripture here in Proverbs 1434 says this. Listen to these words. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin condemns any people. Righteousness exalts a nation. By the way, I like how the scripture here, this is wise King Solomon. He says, righteousness will exalt a nation, but a sin, it will condemn or it brings reproach. Upon any people. By the way, you could put any nation in there. Does that make sense? Now, Psalm was, he kept it broad, not just the nation of Israel, any nation. Do you think morality is important for a country? I say it is. You say, well, how do you have the right or the authority to say that it is because God says that it matters? Morality matters. Righteousness matters. Because the Bible tells us clearly that God sees everything. And he says that righteousness will exalt a nation. But sin brings reproach and condemnation. So morality matters. You guys got that? Will you say it with me? Morality Morality matters. It does. It does matter. Listen to what Psalms. The Psalmist, I believe this it was David who wrote in Psalm thirty-three, twelve. He said this: "Blessed is the nation." Doesn't just now is he maybe referencing Israel? Yes, but I like how it says the nation. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people He chose for His inheritance. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. You know what I believe? I believe that God has has blessed. And had blessed the United States of America for many years because we were a nation that loved God, that we overall, as a nation, righteousness mattered, morality mattered. But can I tell you something? Have you noticed? Have you noticed that things are not quite as good as they used to be? Have you noticed that things are happening? Have you not maybe just paid attention and watch and see what's happening? And see what is going on in this country, in this nation. You know, we talk about uh, inflation and we talk about gas prices and po- talk about potentially no diesel and all of these things. Can I tell you something? When we, think about, when we think about hurricanes, we think about drought, we think about flooding, and we think about all of these things. Yes, they're all things of, of nature, but everyone is saying, let's be honest, the science, trust the science... According to trusting the science, things are getting much worse. And you want to know something? It's true. It is getting much worse. And so you know what we have to do? We have to try to control everything because we are little gods here on planet Earth. And we can control what happens to the weather. Not going to work very well, is it? How's that working so far? Is it possible that it is not just God allowing these things to wake up the church to wake up his people to get this nation to a place where morality matters righteousness matters most importantly that we become a nation one nation under God. Amen? Amen? That God is not trying to get our attention. It's a Interesting, because in 2 Kings, we're not going there, chapter 22 and 23, years later, there was a king by the name of Josiah. In fact, I named my oldest son after King Josiah. King Josiah, the Bible says that his grandfather Manasseh was as wicked as Ahab, or worse. And that his father Amon was a wicked king, both of them wicked kings. In fact, Amon was so wicked that people within his own cabinet, they, they assassinated him and they killed him. And they put Josiah on the throne of Israel. And he was eight years old when he became king. His mother was a godly woman. And that godly woman had an influence on little Josiah. And Josiah, that one of the youngest kings to ever rule created a revival within the nation of Israel. He turned the people's hearts back to God. He found, the Bible says he cut down the Asherah poles that that were were put up, that there was idolatry in the temple. And when he went into the temple, they found the scrolls. And when they found the scrolls, the Bible says that King Josiah, he, he said, we need to fast, we need to pray, we need to repent, and we need to get right with God. And so the nation experienced a revival. And you know what happened? God then began to bless the nation of Israel and God prospered Israel. You see, righteousness exalts a nation. But sin is a reproach to any people. I want you to notice another reason for this famine. In verse number 21, listen to what what we saw there in that chapter. He says this. Elijah says to the people, the, the people of God, he says... You you have to make a choice. You have to make a decision. He says, you, you cannot just sit here. You have to make a decision. He says, are you going to serve the God of Israel, the one and true living God? Or are you going to serve Baal? Who is it that you're going to serve? Choose. Make a choice. Make a decision. Do you remember what we read there? It said this, that the people what? Answered him not a word. They did not speak. They did not speak. Why did God send famine? Because of uncommitted followers of God. You see, let me just pause for a moment and say this. That this is what most people sitting in the church, Christians, across churches that are meeting today or whatever days they meet... And this is what we're going to do and what we say. And this is what's going to happen. And this is what... It's just typical. We're going to blame the politicians. We're going to blame the politicians for what's happening in America. We're going to blame them. And we're going to blame the leadership. And it's all the president's fault. And it's all the vice president's fault. And it's all... And we're going to keep... And we're going to do it. It's going to happen. We're going to say... And by the way, everyone wants to, to point the finger... Can I just remind us of something? Can I remind you of something? (laughs) Politicians are not going to fix America. Only God can fix America. Okay? So don't put too much confidence in a man, okay? Or a woman. Or someone that's running. Now, don't get me wrong. If you don't like the politicians that are in office, who put them there? How did they get there? But the Bible says they answered him not a word. The greatest sin in America, you guys ready? The greatest sin in America, I already know what you're thinking: homosexuality, abortion. By the way, they're, you know, yes, they're sins. You know what, probably the greatest sin in America is? It's not what the world is doing, it's what the church is not doing. It's a sin of apathy, of doing nothing, saying nothing. Look at 2 Chronicles 7, because we're running out of time, verses 13 and 14. Solomon, when he dedicated the temple of the Lord there on the mount in Jerusalem, this is what he, the Lord said to Solomon. He's about to dedicate the temple. And when he's about to dedicate the temple, the Lord says to Solomon, he said, when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain. Hmm, interesting. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land... Or send a plague among my people. Here's what he says you have to do. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. So you say the next words with me and pray pray, and seek my face and turn He says, my people turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin. And what will he do? He will heal the land. We don't want to hear this, but can I just say this? The problem in America is the church. That is the problem in America. I say the church in general. I'm not saying you, but it is us. We have to admit that we are a part of the problem. Because if we do not speak, and if we do not stand, if we do not preach, and if we do not pray, and if we do not, yes, believe it or not, your walk with God even, your walk with God even affects your politics. Because if all you do is vote for, you know, oh, well, this person's going to give me more money in my back pocket. But that's okay if they believe in butchering babies. No, it's not okay. It's still murder. Why is it so quiet in the church today? Why, is it, why are we so silent? No, Elijah was the problem, Ahab said. Ahab said, Elijah, you're the problem. And Elijah says, no, no, you have provoked... God, you have provoked him, and it is sad because the church is no longer being, and I'm saying it in a general sense that God's people is no longer doing what God has called us to do. Please, somebody say amen there because it is true. The church has become silent. Apathy is the thing that is is killing the church and that is what's killing our communities and our country is because the church no longer speaks up. The church wants to be politically correct. Notice what Peter says. Peter in 1 Peter 4.17 says this. For it is time... For judgment to begin with God's household? And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Do you see what Peter's saying? He says it starts here with the church. It starts with those who call Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior. That if we, if we would be right with God and if we would not be ashamed to make a stand and to do right and to live right and and listen, to pray, to pray for our country and to to, to live a moral and godly life that's different than the, the rest of the world. Can I tell you something? God can use that in a tremendous way. We're about out of time, but in this same chapter, what brought this famine? You say ungodly leadership did. It's all the leadership's fault. Well, no. Uncommitted believers, uncommitted followers. Peter says you must start in the house of God. You see, everyone says we need revival in America. No, we don't need revival in America. We need revival in the churches of America. Amen? And if there's revival in the churches, in the church house, then can I tell you, it will start eventually getting up there to the White House. Amen? But that's where it starts. I only have a a moment on this one, but I would say to you unprofitable preachers or unprofitable prophets, Elijah makes it very clear. He says, I'm the only prophet. There were 450 prophets of Baal. There were 400 prophets of Asherah. He goes and he says, I alone am confronting you. But remember, there were 100 of them, but what were they doing? What were they doing? Hiding in caves. Boy, I think that's relevant today. I think there's a lot of preachers and prophets and pastors. I'm not saying all, but many who are hiding in caves of compromise... Let's compromise so we can fill the building. Let's compromise. Postmodernism, relativism, or equality and acceptance that we... And by the way, the gospel is for every single person. Amen? You know why? Because we're all sinners saved by the grace of God. But can I tell you something? That when you accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, He will transform you and He will conform you to become like Him. And He is holy. And that we, the church, should be different than the sinful, wicked world that we live in. Amen? And so these preachers, these prophets, they were of no value or profit for the community and for God's people because they were hiding in the caves. And Elijah stands there alone and confronts them alone. And he confronts the people of God. And he says, Make a decision, make a choice. Are you going to serve God? Are you going to serve these idols and these false gods? And the Bible says they stood there silent. They didn't say a word. Church, I would say that this next week is a very important week for this country. How How many would you agree with that? It's a very important week. In fact, this series was planned weeks and months ago and had no idea that it would fall on this time... in this place... even in the history of America... I would say this... we need to pray... pray for good, godly leadership... amen? amen. and I would encourage you to get out there... and do your part... it's important that Christians do vote... but when you vote, pray... and pray that the ones that, that would be... The, more, the most pleasing to God... there is no perfect politician... but we should be praying... not only for Utah but for other states. Amen? Pray. He says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, right? And what? And pray and seek my face. He says, what? I will. He says, I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. Pray this week for your country. Amen? Pray, pray and seek his face. Again, our answer is not in a politician. Our answer is this, is that we serve a great God. And you want to know something, with God, all things are possible. And so my encouragement is for the church to no longer be silent. Amen? Would you stand with me this morning? To no longer be silent. And one of the greatest things you can do as a Christian.